Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your host and beloved radio health event. Wait a minute. I'm gone for a few weeks and you're beloved? I'm trying out different things. Root and Tootin' just didn't quite catch the spirit of radio health evangelism, so I'm... I, I, what happened to Legendary? Are we going to have to bring that back? Well, I brought a lot of viewer complaints, and so I thought... We don't have viewers, Tony. <laughs> Which is why it's really strange we get viewer complaints. <laughs> At any rate, this is the Let's Turn Cancer into Cancer show. Now, is that not brilliant? And by the way, I did not copy this from Shakespeare or Daniel Webster or any... This is original work right here. This is an example of my brain at war. Well, I believe Turned it because it's not you didn't you didn't spell it can't sir. Yeah, but you didn't spell it with See, I think you should say can't sir with an r. Yeah, see that's but that's your mind at work and that's that's why that's why it's my show. It's just the why it's my show. For now. Ooh, and it works. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners of Talk Internet Radio and a special radio wave to those friendly folks at the MSU Ron G. Eaglin Space Science Center. Our co-medical host, Shelly Irving, off today with viral illness. I, and I would pick on her, but I kind of missed a couple shows myself. <laughs> yeah, Rick has <laughs> so, been out, too. Sorry so about that. So here, back from an absence from the University of Kentucky Executive Director of Networking and Infrastructure to explain to you how to access our web presence as usual, Rick Phillips. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tony, I hope that over the last few weeks you've known you can get the audio of the show from WMKY.org. That's right. That is the Moorhead State Public Radio website. Find Health Matters. Look at the list of shows. Read the little summary. Click on the link. You can listen to the show over and over and over. You can save that download. You can make an MP3 or put that MP3 on whatever device it is you want to listen to. Put it in your car. Send it to your grandma. There's all kinds of things you can do with that audio. But at some point, you will get infuriated. And you will want to comment. And the only way to do that is through Facebook. And we have a fan page, facebook.com slash hmradioshow. There you can find us. You can talk to us. You can send your comments and certainly make some suggestions, which, you know, we're always open to. And, you know, hey, just you could obviously say that maybe you've had a hand in making us better. Right? I mean, it's pretty easy to do. When you think, Tony, isn't, I would think isn't, so. isn't there a tremendous upside to trying to help us? Hey, well, we will do a show slamming you next week. That's the only thing. You're we not got. supposed to say that until after <laughs> they give us the topics. But anyway, you can you can interact with the with the show at, at our fan page. Again, it can be found at Facebook.com slash HM Radio Show. Our sponsor for today's show, the top seven preventable causes of cancer. Not, not eight, not ten, not fifteen, no, not two. This article was seven, and I absolutely agree with it. Now, we're going to talk quite a bit about some obscure things that might cause cancer. For instance, I mean, I, I hear this all the time, milk causes causes cancer. Peanut butter causes cancer. Doesn't life cause cancer? Well, but I ask the patients, I always say, well, how many milk cancers have you seen or heard about? And how, how many families have been ravaged by peanut butter cancers? Or for that matter, uh, we know that overcooking your meat, it's not a good thing to do. Don't do it. But still, overcooking your meat and charred meat uh, causes charred meat cancer. But uh, those type of cancers, the numbers behind those are not really that large. But I can tell you, when we talk about things, we're going to talk about everything 
everything from maybe sex, I don't know, we'll see if to we get there, bread. to scented candles, to all sorts of things. But I want you to know the top seven preventable causes of cancer. This is you can prevent yourself from having cancer, and the only cost here is getting a vaccine. So I would really, really like to make a request here. Yeah. That when you bring lists, we have to either A, be able to keep track of them on digits that we have, so okay. they have to be divisible by five or ten, or we have three segments. They have to be divisible by three so we can evenly space them out. Seven. Simple math, Tony. Seven. Simple math. Yeah. Well, Divide seven The by world three. was made in seven days. There are seven important commandments. Seven is the number. You know, seven is a very important number. Great. So we're going to do one of these per day. <laughs> have at it. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, day this, one. This was actually, this uh, was... <laughs> This was uh, from 2017, so it's been there for a while, but this was important, I think, when you're talking about cancer, to try to keep your priorities. It's the second leading cause of death in the United States. Cancer is, in 2017, about 1.7 million Americans diagnosed. 600,000 Americans died of cancer. Now, it did drop between 2017 and 2018, mainly due to a drop in lung cancer. Very exciting. Still working out the details on that. For decades, what I learned in medical school was a third of all cancers are caused by smoking. There are 17 different types of cancer that we have linked to smoking. Some of them very much a direct cause. Some of them we're not so sure about, but uh, uh, smokers have higher rates of those cancers. But the question they, they had here, they said, well, look, Right now, our smoking rate overall, the United States smoking rate, is down to 15%. Kentucky's running in the low 20s, but again, Kentucky uh, college graduates are, are smoking less than 15%. Now, first of all, realize this is why I'm so terrified, why I'm so down on smoking, why I'm terrified of people who put things in their mouth and set fire to them. 15% of people smoke. That means that 85% of our population is almost immune to lung cancer. And yet lung cancer is still the most deadly cancer. It kills more people than any other cancer. But, but Tony, now, now answer me this. The no, and I'm not trying to trivialize this in any way, shape, or form. I realize the numbers are still staggering. They're still bad. But aren't they relative to some extent? As we get more and more cancers, I want to I say maybe preventable, not preventable, but maybe earlier diagnosis. Or I'm just saying the overall number, we, we've brought everything down a little bit. Yes, we, we're making some progress, some real solid progress. But... This one's still a bad one. This one's still a bad one, and it absolutely devastates smokers. Again, if you're talking about 15% of the population even has a chance of getting this cancer, and yet it is still far and away the most, uh, it kills more people than any other cancer, you realize then that uh, if you were in that 15%, uh, you are, uh, this is a very deadly thing. We've talked about screening uh, for lung cancer with a CAT scan. If you're 55 to 77, uh, uh, Medicare will pay for it, uh, and you've smoked more than 30 years, one pack a day for 30 years, and also you quit less than 15. We've talked about screening for lung cancer, but how about preventing it? And that is, of course, with smoking cessation. But in 2017, a group of researchers, they said, well, you know, we're down to 15% on our smoking rates. Three quarters of people are overweight and obese, and we know that's linked to cancer. So how do these things hold up? What causes cancer in the United States? What are the preventable causes of cancer in the U.S.? Now, first of all, overall, they found that 42% of cancers are preventable. And I've talked to several people about this because I'm kind of putting this show together. And I found there is this overwhelming sentiment that cancer is determined by your genes. You are born with either you're born to have cancer or born not to have cancer. And these people are saying 42% of cancers are preventable. So your genes set you in motion, but what you do with your life determines a lot about 
what happens with cancer. So let's start with our seven then. We'll run them this time. We'll run them each time, uh, despite Rick's protestations that we're not divisible by three. We're going to do them all every single time. First of all, number one, preventable cause of cancer, cigarette smoking, 19% of all cancer cases, 28.8% of all cancer deaths due to cigarette smoking. If smoking were suddenly eliminated, we would see a gradual, granted, because cancer doesn't just suddenly evaporate, but we would see a massive decline in our rate of cancer. Uh, The second most common, obesity and being overweight. So smoking, 19% of cancer cases, obesity and overweight, 7.8%. A pretty big drop-off, but still significant number of cancers. So now we're at 25 total. Yeah, 6% of cancer deaths. Next up, alcohol intake. And remember... What we have told you from Health Matters, there is no safe level of alcohol intake as far as cancer goes. If you drink, you have higher rates of cancer. Now, alcohol is, uh, for some people, a very, very uh, important part of their life. It has uh, some health benefits, but cancer reduction is not one of them. Ultraviolet radiation, 4.7% of cases, 1.5% of deaths, and this is mainly skin cancers. Lack of exercise, 2.9% of cases and 2.2% of deaths. Now, low fruit and vegetable intake, they're calling 1.9% of cases, 2.7% of deaths. Now, we've talked back and forth about diet. That is controversial. There are uh, different opinions on diet, but let's take it at face value. If you eat more fruits and vegetables, or if you are like people who eat more fruits and vegetables, 1.9% of cancer cases, and mainly cancers of the digestive system, especially colon cancer. And then finally, number seven is HPV infection, human papilloma virus infection, 1.8% of cases, 1.1% of deaths, cervical cancer, penile cancer, and oral cancer in people who have oral sex. The rest of these, you just don't do that thing or do do that thing, avoid ultraviolet radiation, exercise, eat your fruits and vegetables. This one, uh, if you avoid sexual activity with uh, large numbers of partners uh, and or if you get that HPV vaccination, you can lower your risk of cancer. So if you stop smoking, maintain normal weight, don't drink alcohol, avoid uh, excessive sunshine, exercise and eat your fruits and vegetables, and if you get an HPV shot or if you limit your sexual partners, we're talking 42% of all cancers can be avoided by doing those things. Is that the life you live? Have you, um, have you gotten your 42% reduction? Well, I think you can always talk about fruits and vegetables, exercise, and I am uh, overweight at best. Yeah, no, on a good I was, day. I was trying to deflect there. I really wanted that one to go back to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'll be honest about it. But that is our sponsor, the top seven preventable causes of cancer. We'll hit them again next fractional portion. First article, February 20th, and we know this is moving forward politically. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the details of this, and uh, you can see whether or not it passes through the Senate. But on February 20th, the House, the Kentucky legislature, the House of Representatives, 65 to 30 vote, a two to one vote, basically, approved medical marijuana. Did we really think it wasn't going to get approved? I initially, I thought that churches might raise concerns about it. But again, uh, under the guise of medical marijuana and the way this was set up, there really was not moral opposition. So it was then it was a, a matter of uh, pe- some people worried that we're really basically opening Pandora's box by doing this. Well, we are. I mean, it's just now I think with every other state that's had medical marijuana that has made the move, you know, it's just a matter of time before you make the move to recreation. Yeah, now, use. I have condemned it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. In California, the way this works is you get a doctor to certify 
certify you have a certain diagnosis, and that allows you to buy marijuana as much as I don't know I, some as much as prescribed. Yeah, and uh, uh, and you smoke it uh, whenever you want to, however you want to. And so, uh, legitimate uh, primary care physicians are staying away from this. So people go online, uh, they get their buyer's card, they go buy their marijuana, they smoke it, and and uh, no one knows how much or when or or uh, how well it is, is doing. Now Kentucky, to their credit, they've tried to make a tighter marijuana law. First of all, no smoking. It is not for combustible marijuana. They're talking about pills and oils. And of course, I think part of that is our hemp industry is very interested in getting in on this. And that's why the oil is important. But they're going to use forms such as pills and oils. There is a regulatory board that's going to determine what conditions would qualify. But the politicians have already determined that those conditions must include chronic pain, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, and nausea. Those are four conditions that the board must certify uh, can be treated by uh, marijuana, according to our legislature. So already you see this is a political process. It's not a medical or scientific process. There is research on uh, epilepsy. Uh, and a specific type of epilepsy, not just epilepsy in general. The other conditions, uh, much more speculative. We're going to speculate away for a break for a moment. We'll come back and talk more about marijuana. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver, and let's turn cancer into cancer. cancer. That's right. That is the really nifty title. I won't say brilliant. I don't think it's for me to say that it's a brilliant title. I think that has to come from our audience. Please just go ahead and uh, send that into our Facebook page if you think that's a brilliant title. But I made that up myself. Clearly. Shows range, shows depth, uh, shows... (laughs) That's stupid. What's the show number? This is show... I think we're up to uh, way in the 800s now. So, yeah, you're, you're like 870 shows in. Yep. I have to admit, I'll give you credit. About that wasn't as... bad, considering <laughs> you've had to do that 870 times. <laughs> this is my 870th best title, I think would be. I've used up all the good stuff, and that's where it is. Our sponsor for the second time, let's uh, the top seven preventable causes of cancer, and let's go through this again. Cancer, diagnosis in 1.7 million Americans, kill about 600,000, although the death rates are dropping slightly. 42% of cancer cases, 45% of cancer deaths are potentially preventable if we change some of the things we do. And we don't have to spend a lot of extra money doing this. We do not have to go to the doctor's office. We're not talking about screening. You can screen for colon cancer, eh, probably prostate cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer. You can do screening tests for that. But we're just talking about actually preventing the cancer in the first place. Uh, so here, here are the top seven ways that you can prevent cancer. Cigarette smoking prevents 28.8% of deaths from cancer if you stop smoking. Maintaining a normal weight because obesity and overweight are responsible for 6.5% of deaths. No alcohol because alcohol is responsible for 4% of the deaths. And I said no alcohol. I didn't say moderation because there isn't a lower limit on this. Avoid ultraviolet radiation, that is sunshine and particularly tanning beds, 1.5% of deaths, and that's mainly due to skin cancers, 
mainly due to melanoma. Lack of exercise, 2.2% of deaths. Please exercise more. And again, we're talking about a half an hour, at least five days a week of uh, regular exercise. It makes you shorter breath or the equivalent there. Six, low fruit and vegetable intake, 2.7% of deaths, a little bit more than the uh, exercise or ultraviolet radiation. And then finally, HPV infection, human papillomavirus infection, 1.8% of cases, 1.1% of deaths, oral cancer deaths, cervical cancer deaths, penile cancer deaths come from human papillomavirus. You can be vaccinated for it, or uh, if you uh, uh, limit your sexual partners, uh, you will be less likely to get it. So back to the marijuana. The House, again, uh, on February 20th, voted 65 to 30 to legalize medical marijuana, not smoking marijuana, but rather pills or oils. Uh, This is uh, according to Republican Representative Jason Neems. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. His lead, the lead sponsor of the bill, this would be the tightest medical marijuana program in the country. And I did, you know, California, you get a buyer's card and then you go and buy marijuana when you want to. And I assume that you have, there may be a certain limit to the quantity, but you buy pretty much as much as you want to. You smoke it, you do whatever you want to with it, but you have the ability to buy it. And that did not sound to me like that's not anything medical. It's just, you know, you, you get to, to go do that. Uh, to their credit, they've decided there would be a regulatory board. This regulatory board would review the science of uh, science scientific information on marijuana, and there is none. Right. Yeah. It's an easy I mean, gig. Scientists are not allowed to research marijuana. The FDA has not reviewed marijuana. Because it's a Schedule I right. narcotic, right? Right. So how many pills would a person with atrial fibrillation not due to a heart valve problem take? I don't know. How many uh, pills or oil, how much oil would a uh, person over age 85 take if they were taking antidepressants? Not a clue. How much can you afford? Yeah. Uh, that, well, that's, that's, that's the California the model, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so. You get a buyer's card and you buy uh, it until so, you don't so, have you know, so uh, saying that, I mean, from my standpoint, I don't want anything to do with it, to be honest. And, and I understand there are people out there. Uh, Kentucky, we brought this on ourselves. We, we did put a very, very tight narcotic prescribing law in place. It is... I, and and I, no one's going to feel sorry for me, uh, but it, it is difficult to treat pain in the state of Kentucky because right. there are so many limits on the use of opioids. I am not advocating for more opioids, but I'm saying that, you know, doing this without any science behind it, I don't know what that regulatory board's going to look uh, at, and I don't know how in the world I'm going to dose this. I have you know, not what, a clue. I don't understand, Tony. I really don't. You know, as much medical marijuana and now recreational marijuana that's been legalized nationwide— I don't understand why we don't try to get that out of that Schedule One narcotic class so that we can actually start doing some research yeah. on well, it. I mean, it's it's critical that we start researching because the utilization is going to go through the roof. Yeah, and we can do observational studies, but we cannot try different doses and, and measure it. We, you know, we cannot as researchers. And I'm not saying I'm a researcher, but as clinicians and researchers, we cannot try out but, different doses and publish that because we cannot have anything to do with uh, research on marijuana. It's not allowed. In, the, in a strict sense of the word, I mean, to some extent, doctors are scientists. I mean, you know, they're, they're part of the scientific process. And so yeah. uh, we can't even do the scientific process. No, this is going to be like, uh, I don't know, vinegar for uh, toenail. And well, no, this is going to be castor oil, right? Yeah, just because yeah, your grandma said to do it. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll just watch <laughs> some of my patients and tell the other patients what the others are doing and or something like that. Republican Stan Lee said the, he thinks that this is headed for recreational use of marijuana. We're being asked to pass something, and I fear that will not be the end of it. I absolutely agree with Stan Lee. 
But uh, House Bill 136 has passed. It now moves on to the Senate. All right, so we are talking about things that might cause cancer. And this is really, I will tell you, this is the thing that made me think about doing a show on things that would cause cancer. This is February 14th, 2020. It was uh, a guy named Navid Sala who was writing for a, a RSS service. It pops in my inbox called MD Links. That he, here were seven things he said you didn't know could cause cancer. Another seven things. It, is it this odd? the theme? Or are you going to have like the? Is there going to be more? seventh son of a seventh son? I mean, it's it's seven is a very popular, and I don't know why, but uh, he uh, he had seven things. So I thought, okay, I will. You're I will. not going to weed two out just for fun? No, I didn't edit this at all because there were a couple that were kind of interesting. Uh, the first one, he said, scented candles. That's your favorite, didn't it? Causing cancer. This was in. That's going to be hard for you to give up. <laughs> no, I, in fact, I, I am kind of against indoor pollution. I mean, if, if you're against cigarette smoke, you really don't like any kind of chemicals being released indoors. But how could you not like a wonderful, charming, tropical or vanilla smell Bayberry. in your house? Bayberry. Bay, there you go. Bayberry. There you yep. go. Okay. Bladder Sunset cancer. Sunset essence. Uh, and I just said the word bladder cancer. I did. October 2019 in Cancer Prevention Research, there was a review published. And it said bladder cancer, the sixth most common cancer in men, 17th most common in women. More than half a million new patients recorded globally. Five-year survival, 76% in the United States. Exact cause not known. Cigarette smoking does lead to increased rates of bladder cancer. But the other thing we know from industry is when you release these uh, volatile hydrocarbons into the air, you can uh, increase. It causes an increase in bladder rates, uh, bladder cancer rates, and, and so in fact, industry has banned these chemicals. But we they call are them scented in, candles. Yeah, we call them scented candles. They can release a large number of volatile organic compounds, says the review. Formaldehyde being one of them, benzenopyrene and aromatic hydrocarbons, others, essential oils and fragrances, of course. And so you do, you do strike me as an essential oils kind of guy. I'll take optional oils. Essential. I think you're essential because <laughs> I don't believe there are essential oils. I th- but you just you just get that essential oils look about you. You couldn't figure out how to derail this because you, 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 I mean I, I'm here. I'm talking wait a minute, about wait a minute. Didn't I or did explosion. I not just derail well, this? Here's the thought. First of all, these are the manufacturers of scented candles do not have to disclose their ingredients. You can smell them, Tony. Well, you don't know what you're smelling though. I mean, yeah, it smells a it's little a bit like a tropical rainforest. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> More than 90% of these substances are not declared because of insufficient industry supervision. The other thing that I found really interesting about scented candles is when they, the things that they did declare, it was assumed that the scented candles were burned in a 30-meter square room. You might say a 5 by 5 meters. You might say a 3 feet per meter. Again, just doing that. Sure. It's a 15 by 15 foot room. And we all know where you burn scented candles. Right in the middle. <laughs> in the bathroom. Well, that's a smaller room. It is. I, if you show me a 15-foot by 15-foot, and it's actually more than that bathroom, uh, then you obviously are wealthier than I am. What do you got, about a 5-foot by 10-foot? <laughs> Probably so, and uh, that's not going to come close to what they tested these scented candles on. So but what if you get a smaller candle? Now, keep in mind... Come on, Tony, that was good. Come on. You let that one just that was, zing was, off, man. That was not bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or if you, you know, if you blow on it, I don't know. Uh, but they, they release, uh, they do release some toxins. Hey, what uh, about un- unscented candles? Well, I mean, there's you, still a flame burning in your room. There's a flame burning, but if you say that's a wick with wax, uh, then uh, wicks and wax are not bad. 
the stuff that they put in under them is a problem. Now, how many candle cancers have I seen? I don't know, but bladder well, how would cancer, you know? Well, bladder cancers are hard to figure out. They happen to older people, and it's really difficult to trace back what might have uh, triggered that. And so I, I just. Uh, certainly, if you have a family history of bladder cancer, I would not be burning candles in the bathroom. I know that sounds so. Like there's an what, odd like thing. six more left on this list? Yeah, there are. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we talked about HPV. The other, th- I, I, I'll just, I tell you what, I'll combine these two things. Okay. There's um, two. Uh, there's two that are similar. Yeah. They're well, they're and they're a little awkward. You don't want to talk about them at the same time. You're you got it. You're gonna spend uh, as little time as possible on this one. Huh? <laughs> this one was released actually on Valentine's Day. Among men having ten or more lifetime sexual partners increased the risk of cancer diagnosis by sixty nine percent compared with having one or no sexual partners in women. Having 10 or more lifetime sexual partners increased the, the overall cancer risk by 91%. Wow. Now, first of all, we talked about I HPV. Mean 69, I mean, that's not you know 70% and 90%. They're both really high numbers, but 90%, yeah. that's that's crazy high. Yeah, it it, uh, uh, it did. Now, they pointed out, you know, if, if you have more than 10 sexual partners, you that, that would be, from a medical standpoint, risky behavior. Right. And so what other risky behaviors are you engaging in uh, if you have had that many uh, sexual partners? You look at this and, you know, first of all, HPV uh, is uh, is one way that having sexual partners uh, could uh, more sexual partners could cause a problem. But also it may be a riskier lifestyle in general. So I will move on because obviously that's uh, not kind of <laughs> check. Yeah. All right. Thank I'll you. even let you go. Frequent flying. 2014 study looking at uh U.S. flight attendants, female flight attendants, 34% more reproductive cancers. Flight attendants were shown to have a higher prevalence of every cancer assessed, but especially breast melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancers. Why, breast, you th- comma, the, melanoma. I mean, and why is it? Is it just being around the fuels? Is radiation. It a, it's radiation. Close, yep. You're closer to the sun. Yep. You are closer to the sun, and that cockpit does not protect you from radiation. Uh, so... Um, uh, cosmic rays, they talk about, as well as increased sun exposure. Now, you know, I, I think when you look at melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancers, and pardon me for being a, a prejudiced and go ahead and write it in, it may be that a person who flies all across the country uh, may spend more time on the beach, may spend more time out in the sun as well. That's a possibility, you know, because they do travel. I don't know, the ones I see are going to Detroit. No, well, Detroit I mean, you know, does not cause skin cancer. I'm just saying they're not they're not going to the beach. They're going to Detroit or <laughs> there are a lot of problems with Detroit, or... but not skin. So I've, I've I've alienated Detroit. I've insulted uh, flight attendants, uh, but and scented candles and scented candles. I, I, I am uh, the scented candle people are going to be uh, irate. Uh, breast implants. Uh, now, now is this, this is, is this number five or four? I mean, I'm having a hard time keeping track see, of what you're glazing over these things. Sex, frequent flying, breast implants. This is number four. Okay. And the the breast implants specifically something called anaplastic large cell lymphoma, a rare cancer. I've not seen one, uh, but it does occur. And uh, they originally there were five cases of this rare cancer, uh, all in people with breast implants. Now uh, breast implants. It's now up to 173 cases. So it does happen, but it's a very rare cancer. But it increases it. Relative risk for breast cancer, uh, anaplastic large cell lymphoma in women with breast implants, 400 times as likely. Now, you take, you know, something that happens one in a billion and you run it up 400 times, it's still 400 in a billion. Uh, right. It's still a pretty rare thing. Right. All right. Unlike up, the other one, that was 91%. Right. I mean, Next was... up, piping hot beverages. Um, what? Yes. Coffee? Hot, hot tea uh, is the one that they talk about, but coffee, Yeah. Uh, all right. In a prospective study, more than 50,000 tea drinkers followed for 10 years 
317 cases of cancer of the esophagus occurred. Those who drank over 700 milliliters, again, you think about a two-liter bottle. This would be about a third of a two-liter bottle. Uh, at 140 degrees Fahrenheit, had a 90% re- increased risk of developing esophageal cancer. Not a common cancer, but an increased risk. Sure. So 140 degrees, over 700 milliliters a day. 140 degrees doesn't sound that hot. Really? See, I'm not a hot I mean, beverage well, boiling, guy. Boiling is 210. Right. Right? I mean, something slightly less than that. As soon as you take it off, as soon as you take the pot off the stove, you're probably 190. So 140 sounds like, I mean, 140 is a little bit hotter than bath water, right? Oh, I, I hope so. I, I don't think I could take a 140-degree bath. I mean, I know when you put it up to 180 in your dishwasher, that, that's a the cycle that you can use to disinfect the... the you know, I like how you can just pull out those numbers. That that's very impressive. It's authoritative. Because I was going 140, and I was going, I don't know what that means. But now we've got it somewhere between dishwashers and bath water, which yeah. I can, I can. All right, body temperature is 98, so it's obviously 40 degrees, 40 or 50 yeah, degrees higher than your body. Yeah. So it's you know. All right. So hot your refrigerator's beverages. at 45, so it's you know. <laughs> come on. <laughs> So if you add your refrigerator to the bath water, exactly, you put your refrigerator in the bathtub. You're running about one. Okay, Abs- no, no. Yeah, you do put the your, math, ladies and gentlemen. You, do the math. You take your dishwasher and put it in your bathtub. <laughs> and then, that's about right. And put the refrigerator there just to drop it yeah. down by forty. You got it. Okay. Alcohol consumption. We talked about that before. We uh, did. Yeah. Alcohol consumption. Alcohol consumption is bad. Yeah. And liver cancer is one of them, but some other GI cancers as well. And then this to make things confusing. I mentioned that ultraviolet radiation, 1.5% of preventable deaths come from ultraviolet radiation. Well, lack of sunlight appears also to be associated with higher rates of cancer. So that sounds wishy-washy to me. I got to go in the sun, but I don't got to go in the sun. Pretty much. (laughs) You know? And you've made a living off this. All things in moderation. All things in I See, I feel that way about exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exercise exercise wasn't uh, one of the things you do in moderation. You need to do more exercise, low levels of exercise. Well, that's not fair. I think you said all things in moderation. Low levels, uh, most things in moderation. Lacks of exercise, 2.2% of cancer. See, now you are wishy-washy because you said all things in moderation. Am I wishy-washy at 140 degrees? That's the question. Well, you're washy. (laughs) <laughs> Next up, a couple of pieces of good news. Uh, coffee drinking and cancer risk. This was... Wait a minute. Uh, you just said coffee was... No, hot d- beverages. Hot well, okay, beverages. So I'm supposed to drink iced coffee now. Mm, you're supposed to drink black coffee. February 5th, 20... And this is why I mentioned, you know, peanut butter, milk, all these things. Uh, it's good to talk about these things, uh, but it is not... Uh, um, it, it, the, the, the water is somewhat muddy or perhaps... Uh, lukewarm. The water is lukewarm <laughs> about uh, uh, these things. So keep in mind our seven. That's the health message from this. But people ask, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Coffee... Now, when I was growing up, I just I I abhorred coffee. I, I mean, I I would I would do the dishes at the house, and I, the coffee pot was just black. It was just nasty, with that residue of burned coffee. I was supposed to scrub that off. I hated it. Yeah, well, I mean, we I don't know. I, I learned to drink it in the army. I'm not sure exactly why or when, but it was one of those drinks that came test. about when when I was in the army. They, you know, honestly, they they promoted. Coffee in the morning, a lot of caffeine, you know, probably yeah. to keep you moving. Um, they, I mean, honestly, I hate to say it, but in the 80s, they promoted smoking. 
You know, so yeah. people that smoked got more break privilege than people who didn't. And so right outside the door of the chemistry and physics uh, lecture halls uh, was a soft drink machine at yeah. Vanderbilt when I was going there. And the nearest coffee was substantially farther away. Yeah. So in between classes, soft drinks. And that unfortunately, or well, well but the army, the coffee was readily available yeah. to the to, to us, and so it was easier. But yeah, I guess it's whatever whatever's available. But I I am not a fan of coffee. But it turns out coffee has the flavanols. Coffee has the things that lower your rate of cancer. So they looked at studies. Uh, this was a, a review of all these studies uh, related to coffee, and they found there was a negative association. That is, coffee was protective uh, uh, for risk of liver and cancer of the endometrium, which is uh, of the uterus. Uh, those were the two that it definitely so, was protective. So, so coffee good, scented candles bad. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> we're going to take a break and let Rick work through the rest of the risk factors. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver, and this is the Let's Turn Cancer into Cancer. I think we shouldn't have to do that last segment ever again in our whole lives. <laughs> Let's turn candles into cancer. <laughs> well, apparently, that's we're supposed um, to turn candles off. Uh, that's true. This is uh, and this is the final fractional portion. Our sponsor for the final time, the top seven. These are the ones we want you to take home. These are the changes you need to make in your life in order to prevent cancer. And let's run through them again. Cigarette smoking, 19% of cases, 28%, uh, 28.8% of cancer deaths attributable to cigarette smoking. Don't smoke uh, and, and don't let your family smoke. Uh, it is just, that is just wrong. And when you think about, again, 28.8% of deaths coming from something that only 15% of the population is doing right now, the immense tragedy of this uh, starts to hit you. Obesity and overweight, 6.5% of deaths. Alcohol, 4% of deaths. Ultraviolet radiation, 1.5% of cancer deaths. Lack of exercise, 2.2% of cancer deaths caused by this. Low fruit and vegetable intake, 2.7% of cancer deaths. And then finally, HPV, uh, human papillomavirus infection, 1.1% of cancer deaths. These are avoidable things. If we don't smoke, if we maintain normal weight, if we limit our alcohol intake or just don't drink uh, alcohol, if we avoid alter, are we, I'll say, Rick, to really put this together, 1.5% of deaths from uh, too much ultraviolet radiation, a certain amount and not really stated in the article from not enough uh, sunshine. I think what we need to do is to get enough sunshine to make vitamin D. That's what we think may be the mediator of the protective effects. And that does not take very long. You do not have to spend the afternoon in an equatorial beach to get uh, vitamin D. As a matter of fact, you either, in the wintertime, north of Atlanta, you can't get it from the sun. So you uh, supplement your vitamin D uh, with vitamin D-rich foods or with uh, supplements. Why is that now? Well, because uh, in the wintertime, north of Atlanta, you just can't do it. now. Really? From, You're saying here in Kentucky there is not enough? Yeah, between October and March. You think about it, there's not enough to tan so you're not getting very much ultraviolet radiation. Whereas if you go out in the middle of summer, half an hour and you're red. 
you know, or a lot of people are. What we're talking about is avoid tanning beds. We don't know how much radiation they have now with their newer and stronger bulbs. Bad news there. If you're going to go out in the sun, you do it early morning, late evening, or you do it for a very brief period of time. And then in the wintertime, you may need to supplement vitamin D. But it looks like uh, too much sun is probably a little worse than not enough sun, but both carry a risk. Uh, so we talked about coffee, uh, and coffee seems to be beneficial. And here, uh, you know, that's good thing, because I drink like four cups a day. Yeah, you are a big coffee guy. I'm a I, coffee big guy. Either one's fine with me. I, I, you can. This is this is your call. Or, I, or I guess I could be a big as coffee long guy. As, yeah. At any rate, um, uh, coffee seems to be you, beneficial. You, you've have, really missed me. I have tried to drink coffee. And I just can't quite pull it off. I, I will drink some occasionally. I'm not opposed to it. Shouldn't you put it, some cream and sugar in it or something? No, sweeten black, it up a little bit? Black, put some black, chocolate in there? Know, that's the thing. Once you do that, uh, you know, you know, I Yeah, know but you, you wean yourself off the chocolate over time. See, I have. Non chocolate, Rick. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great idea there, buddy. Okay, this one, uh, the next one, a uh, review of nut consumption and risk of cancer. They found 33 studies, more than 50,000 cancer cases, and a high consumption of nuts associated with a around a 10% drop in cancer rates, especially among cancers of the digestive system. And that'd be colon cancer, uh, stomach cancer, and. Uh, Esophageal cancer. Among the different nut classes, they mentioned there was a significant association only for intake of tree nuts. What that means is peanuts, unfortunately, not protective. You're going to have to go to the more expensive nuts. The walnuts, the cashews, the pecans. I don't know about pecans. pecans. I don't know. Walnuts they have to grow on trees. Yeah, they have to grow on trees. And walnuts especially are good. The oils in the walnut and the meat of the walnut are, are excellent for health. So, you know, macadamia nuts, are, are they? Are they, they're not tree-based, are they? Yeah, they are. They are. No, I always put them in the cookie. And that's good of you, Rick. <laughs> had no idea you were. Just, I'm just like, saying, I now, raised, now I raised my cookie value by 10%. Right. But all right. So the nuts drop it by uh, 10% on the, the uh, uh, people who eat a lot of nuts. On the other hand, if you put them in the cookies and you become overweight, you're up 6.5%. But by Net being four. Net four percent. <laughs> hey, I'm good. <laughs> we are winning the battle here just by putting nuts in the cookies. I, I didn't realize that. Well, and you think about raisins. I mean, do not waste my time. Right. Who raisins cares? are not a dessert. No, I get four they're, they're, percentage points. are not a dessert. I, I by will. adding nuts. Go ahead. Write us. Tell it, me I'm wrong. It makes the cookie worthwhile. The, the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just, again, I gained four. Four percent. I don't think it works that way. Because I was going to eat the cookie anyway, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. And so if you're going to do it, uh, have a cup of coffee and uh, put some macadamia nuts in that cookie. And by golly. There you go. Yeah. You would just Cookies you and would float out a, a wave and, of health coming out of your kitchen. Whatever you do, no scented candles. Next up, this was from the Occupational Environmental Medicine Journal. It was published in 2013. This is an old study. We've been watching it for a long time, but just a reminder. Guess how many years? Honey? That's seven years. That is seven years. That's our theme, right? Seven? Don't tell me. We may rerun this show, and we don't want, to know, don't want people to know. But this was in 2013. The title, Increased Risk of Breast Cancer Associated with Long-Term Shift Work in Canada. You know, Shift work is really tough on a person. I've done some myself, have uh, worked with a lot of nurses who did shift work, and it takes a toll. I think young people might be able to do it. There are some people that are just kind of uniquely able to do it for a long period of time, but not many. Didn't the body evolve or or it was made basically to really when the sun is down, that's really time for rest? Well, I mean, that's kind of what it is. And so your third shift, some of your late second shift people – you know, they tend to try to, they get weird sleep patterns. Yeah. And they're sleeping when the sun's out. Yeah. And you, it, well, to be honest, I think that's probably the healthiest thing to do 
is to try to just to flip your rhythms rather than uh, just trying to power through it. You know, I know a lot of people, they say, well, I, I get by on three hours sleep or something like that. I think that is less healthy than trying to just completely flip. Uh, what's recommended is you wear sunglasses pretty much as soon as you go uh, off your uh, shift, uh, protect your eyes from the sun, go home, blackout curtains, unplug the phone, no uh, noises, get your regular sleep and just reset. And as much as you can, try to keep to that schedule even on the weekends because uh, the changing is, is certainly hard on you. But this was shift work. They looked, it was a case control study, meaning they had 100, uh, 1,100 people with breast cancer, 1,100 people who did not have breast cancer, and they looked at what those people did. They had self-reported lifetime occupational histories for night shift work. One-third of the cases and controls uh, had some night shift work association. There was no relationship if you worked the night shift for 0 to 14 or 15 to 29 years, but if you worked a night shift for more than 30 years, your risk of breast cancer doubled. And that's, uh, again, this is a common cancer, uh, and so a doubling of this is some pretty big numbers. So, I mean, really what you just said was a third shift nurse, which, you know, if they've been a third shift nurse for 30 years— that could be problematic, right? Yeah. Now, the you know, there's so there's always it's hard to tease out these associations. This is true, and I think that shift work is unhealthy. I could argue, and and once again, I'll just go ahead and make people mad and, and say this: if you have been stuck on third shift for thirty years, there may be something else different about you, because a lot of people are trying to move off that night shift, and for some reason, well, you're there very is, happy there's there. There's typically a career progression that occurs, and 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 it is safe to say that you know the. The third shift does tend to stay, depending on where it is. For the most part, it stays at the you know the entry level or the you know slightly there. Well, now some people do the third shift because, in the case of a hospital, there's like shift differentials and next additional right. pay, and you know so it can you can actually make more money working the graveyard shift, but uh, doesn't mean it does that money doesn't come with a to- without a toll. Yeah, for example, I have a patient uh, that uh, she works the shift because she and her husband don't get along. They're, they save their marriage. He comes in, she goes out. She comes in, he goes out. And uh, so they, they... There's another whole show on that one, Tony. Yeah, uh, it is. A lot of people will work shift work uh, because uh, they can be with their kids or take care of their aging relatives or right. something like that. Everybody has the reasons. Yeah. So uh, I think just, just staying up, um, but I, I have that sense that uh, uh, twisting your circadian rhythms around... Uh, and then occasionally breaking it. I mean, I, I, I stay up all night sometimes, you know, if I got a big project going or uh, if I'm uh, 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 sometimes when I'm having if fun. I'm coming back from Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I can't sleep on the plane. Yeah, well, that's true. I cannot sleep on a plane. So if I'm headed either west or if I'm going to Europe, the, the, I stay for, up all night. For me, the red eye isn't during the flight. It's the next day. Yeah, yeah. Do you do movie marathons? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it gets to a movies. point where I can't read anymore, and I just, I just sit yep. there and stare. That's what I do. Yeah, I watch movies. Well, we we my wife and I get caught up on our movies with these flights. But you're right, I can't sleep, and so I will stay up sometimes. But I think uh, if if I worked a graveyard shift, I would be switching around more because right. again, a lot of social events occur during the daytime, and uh, the only way I can partake in those things would be to uh, to change my schedule around. So again, I, just to kind of go back, what have we learned? Let me go one more time. Uh, the top seven, the things that you can do that will have the greatest effect on your risk of getting cancer. Uh, stop smoking. Maintain a normal weight. Do not become obese or overweight. Uh, don't drink alcohol. 
avoid ultraviolet radiation, or if you, uh, and, and again, this is basically uh, avoid tanning, I think it would be a better way to put it, because ultraviolet radiation is in the world around us during the daytime, but uh, if you avoid tanning, uh, exercise regularly, eat fruits and vegetables, and either limit your sexual partners or get the HPV infection or uh, HPV vaccine, or both, frankly. Um, that it is a very, it looks like in the long run, and I, once again, uh, uh, let's go ahead and finish off, make everyone mad. In the long run, HPV vaccine looks to be very safe. It's recommended for uh, young people up to age 26. In certain circumstances, it has been extended to age 45. Um, at least uh, it's uh, FDA approved for up to 45, but up to 26 is what we're looking now and usually starting at age 12. So I think that is a good vaccination. I think also limiting your sexual partners either uh, – it's, it's sort of like you act like the people who have lower rates of cancer. So I don't know if low fruit or vegetable intake actually causes the cancers. I think that's hard to tease out of everything right. else people do, just like with the sexual partners. But if I act like a person who eats a lot of fruits and vegetables, that might actually help me out. It's the best we can do right now. It's the best information I have is I ought to act like I'm eating fruits and vegetables. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least some of the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, um, and there, there are, obviously, vegetarians have a different lifestyle. Um, and uh, uh, there may be differences in income level, difference in education, all sorts of things. Uh, but uh, if, if those people have a lower rate of cancer, uh, then it, part of it probably is due to the diet. Make sense? Hmm. Okay. That's an, again, that's another whole show for me because I have a different take on that. I've, my personal experience with people that haven't had a protein-filled diet, uh, they haven't always fared to be the most healthy people I've met in my life. Now, keep in mind, Rick is an ex-football lineman. Yeah, very much so. I've uh, yeah. openly said, big, meat yeah. eater. And it worked scented at a candle, steakhouse. Scented candle guy. Worked at a steakhouse. <laughs> you know, but I'm telling you, I've hung around lots of people. And I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying that... When I under when somebody, you know, tells me, hey, that, you know, I, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, I'm a, you know, pescatarian, you know, what, whatever, you know, you, you look and I, and I start looking across the board at those people compared to the other people I've met in my life, and they don't seem any healthier. They have low rates of cancer. Now that that's good. I guess that's worth, you know, that's something we should consider. But you know, yeah, and and obviously the big question is, well, do you have to? I mean, in order to maintain calories, obviously, one of the things you do, and, and it may be this is it. If you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're probably not going to be as overweight. Absolutely. And so it may be that this is just a uh, a substitute, a, a marker for people who maintain a normal weight. I, I, you're right. I mean, these studies make it very hard to – you're making a lot of inf inferences, right? I mean, yeah. you're, 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 and it's very difficult to say that, you know, Rick, just go ahead and – Throw the throw the uh, the Snickers bar away and get you some corn or some green beans or something, and you're going to be better. But that's just not really. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just in denial. Well, I think um, I, I think that this more than anything else. I wanted to put these things out as a counter to the idea that cancer is a strictly genetic disease. Right. Oh. That it is that there is there is no hope. There is no uh, interaction at all. Uh, with uh, uh, your environment, it is all caused by uh, uh, your genes and your parents. Uh, it, that is that is simply the furthest from the truth. But Tony, um, but if you think about it, if I pick up a cigarette and I start smoking my whole life and and I get lung cancer, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that it wasn't the genetics that got me, right? 
That's right. That, I mean, that's I, the way I, I feel. I mean, I think I think it would be very easy to come to that conclusion if you looked at people. Now, I think every once in a while you get thrown a curveball where your grandma is eighty six and she's been smoking her whole life and she doesn't have she cancer, didn't. and so uh, that one makes you scratch your head and go. Is that genetic? Is that what? Yeah. You know, and, and really, honestly, we just don't know enough to make that call. And here we're just we're trying to put the best information we can together to make the best choices that seem to be the best things to do. Right. Doesn't mean they are. Just means they appear to be. And even in Kentucky, we're looking at about 24 percent of the population who is Suspect. who are at risk at risk That's for lung cancer. Is the way I put it, because they smoke. Uh, and in that 24 percent of the population. Uh, we log around 3,300, 3,400 lung cancers uh, deaths a year. Uh, second highest is colon cancer with 800. And colon cancer obviously could hit anyone. Right. Uh, the entire 4 million people of the state, whereas uh, the other one, only 1 million people are uh, even possibly um, uh, at risk. They're, and they're yet the rates are four exu- times as high. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're have, they got behavior patterns that, that lend themselves to being candidates for cancer. Yeah. Lung cancer, that is. And so I think you're right. So can you put this together that a person who doesn't exercise low fruit and vegetable intake, um, maybe with HPV uh, uh, infections because perhaps multiple sexual partners uh, who smokes uh, and uh, takes in alcohol, you can see, well, that that's a certain lifestyle. That right. Those things often uh, are uh, together, not necessarily. But uh, when we try to separate them out, it may be that it's better just to include them all together and say, look, if you do these things, then your risk of cancer is going to be 42% of cancers are still uh, possible for you, whereas other people will not be at risk for those. But, you know, Tony, we, we've evolved as a society on an observational you know, exploration, right? I mean, everything we've learned over life started with observation. So you see these observational studies, you see these things like that. We, we observe that the, the, you know, it, it is so easy to, to get to those conclusions. Um, you just got to make sure you read and understand and try to live that lifestyle. And you don't spend too much of your time listening to a health matters radio show. We can fix that. <laughs> Special thanks to our Moorhead State Public Radio producers, Shamari Mosley, and to Eric Bilber, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to wmky.org, or visit us on Facebook. Just do a search for HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supportive folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show, and remember these facts about cancer care. Americans spend nearly $150 billion, that's billion with a B, per year for cancer care, four times more than treatment for other common health conditions. 63% of cancer patients face financial struggles following a cancer diagnosis. Cancer treatment costs are highest for preventable cancers such as lung cancer, colorectal cancer, and breast cancer. The lifetime cost of lung cancer treatment is around $282,000. 20% of cancer patients estimate they spent more than $20,000 each year in out-of-pocket costs for health care. Almost half of cancer patients report that travel expenses related to treatment is an additional financial burden. Cancer death rates are 20% higher among residents of the poorest U.S. counties. Eight of the 10 states in southern, central, and western regions with the highest poverty rates fall in the top 10% for cancer death rate, according to the CDC. But whatever you do, don't take this stuff lying down. Get out this week, make a healthy change in your life, and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Moorhead State Public Radio.
for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org.